lot of different depictions of moms. Moms contain multitudes. But uh, I think I've got to go with Linda Belcher. Nice. Real dump truck of an ass on that one. Little babies. (laughs) If you're not real, then how come I feel this way? (laughs) Little babies. (laughs) What about you? That's my that's my gold star answer right there. Well, like you, Mike, criteria is the same because I'm either going to go Topanga from Girl Meets World (laughs) or Mrs. Incredible from The Incredibles. They do like to like, I'm more, I'm more so talking about like the cartoons. They love to just put a dump truck on these moms. Hey, I am zero complaining. They're projecting (laughs) (laughs) what they want. It's so funny. Correlating them big hips with good moms. I know, it's like that that awful, like, child-bearing hips bullshit. Yeah. Ugh. Well, you know, they each had three kids. Some sure. of them have superpowers. Others are nightmares. Others but... have superpowers. If they had three kids, they certainly have superpowers. <laughs> I meant the kids having superpowers, but... Oh, I thought you meant the moms. I'm like, all moms have superpowers. Facts. I swear to God. Facts. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Remember that time we watched... Good night, mommy. You mean Ixa Ixa? I see, I see. <laughs> yeah, 2014 amazing Austrian horror film from one of our favorite duos, uh, Veronica Franz and Severin Fiala. Yes, you guys might know them from The Lodge. Yeah, we covered that we, a while back. We yeah. covered that um, last year, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I'm Nicole. I'm Topher. And we're the Horror Babes. Facts. And we'll be following the normal format today. And just in case you're new here, I will clue you into what that means. Topher will be taking us through who made this thing. Shout out the cast and the crew in our first installment. And then I will take us through the plot. And then we will analyze said plot. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Do we have any horror news before we launch into this? Kind of is the answer. We just, this trailer just dropped um, like a day or two ago. Um, it's the trailer for Don't Worry, Darling. Yes, Florence Pugh, Harry Styles, Olivia Wilde directed it. Yeah, and she's starring in it. And we've also got Chris Pine giving off big cult leader vibes. And there's a lot of Olivia Wilde, Harry Styles drama that was surrounding all of this before we even knew it was going to be a movie. Yeah. Um, I am so, it looks so good. I am so excited to see this. I will go to a theater to see this. I yeah. will pay big bucks. I will go to drinks before and I will... <laughs> enjoy myself make a night of it right so this is the way the reason i say i am not sure if this counts as horror news is because it is described as an erotic psychological thriller which could be horror yeah and i so i'm excited exactly so you may hear us covered on the on the podcast Um, yeah it might be a horror now or we might just do a regular episode it kind of depends on the content (laughs) yeah but it's giving me yeah the trailer is giving me big last night in soho for uh, sure. Yeah. It's, it's like Last Night in vibes. Soho and like Stepford Wives and yeah. Great Gatsby like all together yeah. somehow. Yeah. So it looks really interesting. They either did a really amazing job in the tra- with the trailer or it's just going to be an amazing film. Yeah. I mean, she her first movie was Booksmart and that movie slaps. Oh my God. That is one of my favorite like end of the night movies ever. Yeah, for sure. And it's just... It, I like that she's playing a lot with sort of visual fuckery. Yeah. So we have obviously mirror tricks, but there's also a lot of like expansion and contraction around Florence Pugh when she's like freaking out. We see the setting actually change around her and bend. And we see like fingers walking along a city or like a, a suburb or something like that. Yeah. And it's giving me like she played with visual effects in Booksmart when we had the extended like ayahuasca scene where oh, they yeah, become Barbies. Yeah, I yeah. forgot about that. That was yeah. So it's I'm I'm excited. You know, it I, looks really great. Yeah. I also hope she brings Billy Lord back just for anything. Shits and giggles. Like, yeah, why not? A little cameo moment would be yeah. great. But yeah, that's that's all I've got for right now. Yeah, we we've had a lot recently, so it makes sense that we don't yeah. have as much now. Like we got a longer trailer for men. Um, but that's old news, kind of. Um, 
Yeah. I, I haven't watched it because I don't want to. <laughs> I want to leave that movie as vague as possible in my mind. That's totally fair. Uh, but yeah, that's that's all I got for that. So let me go ahead and tell you all about who made this damn thing. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> so like I said, it was from the team Veronica Franz and Severin Fiala. If you listened to our Lodge episode, you'll know that they are an aunt and nephew directing and directing duo. Uh, they also write all of their projects as well. But yeah, so they've been working together for a while. Uh, Veronica Franz comes from a film doc or film journalism background. Yeah. And their first film together was Kern. Um, that was a documentary about a, a prominent Austrian actor who was a really weird dude. Okay. But yeah, so I'm excited to see what they do in the future, obviously. But I've seen this movie, good lord, I don't know how many times. I watched it for the first time right after it came out. I was still in grad school and we just put it on and I was like this is the greatest thing I've ever seen it's definitely it's definitely a really fun movie I mean well fun's maybe not the word for it but um <laughs> I don't know I feel like I feel like when you consume a lot of horror you kind of end up using all of these adjectives that you apply it to that world like it's yeah. not fun in comparison to like book smart like we just yeah. mentioned it's not fun in that sense but you know what I mean it's a ride yeah it I doesn't guess have Billy Lord I mean. jumping off a boat into the ocean it's fun like roller coasters are fun for some people, not for me. I hate them. I will never go on another one ever again in my entire life. But Same. for some people, they enjoy that like thrill and I'm not going to yuck anyone's yum. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and apologize right up top because the, all of these names are Austrian and German and I do not speak those languages and I am very bad at pronouncing them. They feel like sand in my mouth. We try. We try as hard as we can here. Yeah. So our music, what there is of it. Uh, is from Olga Neuwirth, I think, is how you pronounce that. Um, Sounds good to me. <laughs> you know, I can't correct you on these things either. I just try our best. Yeah, she's a she's she's a multi hyphenate. You know, she yeah. is a writer. She is a composer. She does visual art. Um, this is definitely her best known composition uh, from film. Like she also does operas and things like that. That's how she rose to prominence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do find it funny that another movie that she composed was five years before this in 2009, Kill Daddy Goodnight. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Our cinematography was from, and this is going to be the worst one, Martin Geschlacht. There's not enough fouls in this name. Um, <laughs> uh, he. This movie is, every time I watch it, I think it might, one of the reasons I love it so much is it's just so fucking pretty. Yeah. It's gorgeous, and he definitely pulled a lot of Terrence Malick shots for this. When he was doing the running through the corn, I was like, that's every Terrence Malick movie ever. Right. No, it's it's funny that it's funny that you mention um, it's funny that you mentioned that, you know, when you said uh, what little music there is, oh, that, yeah. that we're covering this right coming right off of soundtracks that slap where this was unintentional completely but we've gone from and we'll talk more about this later of course the use of silence in this movie but it's kind of funny that we've gone from uh movies that are driven by music and their soundtracks and then we've completely flipped it and gone to a movie that is driven pretty much by silence yes for the most part like if there is a sound in it it's a very it's very uh, curated and chosen exactly. thing. You know, it's intentional. Yeah, I do. I love what you said earlier is that if you took all of the dialogue in this film and wrote it out, you could fit it on a postcard. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I could do it. I won't, but I could. <laughs> Our editor was Michael Palm. Um, he also did The Lodge. Yeah. Uh, he's primarily a documentary editor, and I find that very fascinating, particularly looking at the way this is cut together. Yeah. I, I'll say more about that later, but I think that that is uh, a, a major feature of this film. Not, right. a, not a bug, but a feature, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was produced by uh, Franz's husband, Ulrich Seidel, um, who actually is kind of how she got her start moving into the film industry from film journalism. Yeah. Uh, it's He was a writer and director in the 90s and early aughts. He still works sometimes, but he mostly just um, runs his production company now, okay. um, which is awesome. And then our production designers were Hubert Klausner and Hans, Hannes or Hans Salat. Hmm. Uh, and I just want to shout them out because this production design is gorgeous. Gorgeous. Down to the set decoration. Everything about this is perfect. Yeah. So yeah, it's got a great runtime. Uh, it's like 9,900 minutes, depending on the cut you get. Um, Entirely in German. Um, so, yeah, this is a subtitled film. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, didn't even shout out our stars. My bad. <laughs> oh. We have twins Elias and Lucas Schwartz and Suzanne Waist. Yeah. Yeah. As the mom. That's pretty That's much it. it. We, we've got, you know, small, small roles. We have the food the guy delivery guy. Bring, and the guy that brings them back when the they priest, try to yeah. go. Yeah. The mm-hmm. guy who's been sweeping for 15 years in the exact same spot. Yeah. He's a ghost for sure. <laughs> and the Red Cross folks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it made 2.2 million at the box office. I'm not, I don't have any information on the actual uh, budget for it, but mm-hmm. yeah, it um, premiered at the Venice Film Festival in 2014 and was got a wider release in 2015. Some it played in it released in Austria. It never got a theatrical release outside of there, but it went to streaming pretty quickly. Yeah. And definitely got, found its life there. So this was the Austrian selection for best foreign language film uh for the Oscars. Somehow didn't get nominated. And that's I'm like whack. that's ridiculous. That's it's whack. the Oscars have a they don't like horror films. Th- this is true. This is this is um well known, yeah. Well known, yeah. It's not it's not news to anybody. <laughs> yeah, but I this film is so fantastic. The storyline is amazing. It's beautiful. It was shot on thirty five millimeter, which thank you. Yes, I love, yes, like definitely. Me and John Carpenter just over here, like please shoot everything on thirty five. <laughs> Fucking nerds. But I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the it, final line of the credits is shot on glorious thirty five millimeter. Yeah, I think so. It's interesting because obviously this is um, up to everyone's opinion, but in a way, so like you have your you have your favorite horror film, right? Like one that you personally are like, this is the best. The thing, yeah. Yeah, like in The Witch for me. But I kind of feel like structurally and objectively, this might be an example of a perfect horror film. It's right up there. Yeah, we should we should talk about that later. But that's or dig into it more. But yeah, yeah I think you're right, and uh, I want to dig into that more. Yeah, like structure wise, and again objectively, I think it might be one of the most perfect. I'm I'm fully with you on that. But yeah, I've got some thoughts on that for later. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, okay, cool. before Stay we tuned. jump into that, yeah, <laughs> before we jump into that, uh, why don't you tell me what the hell happens in this? A lot. Um, yeah. Okay. So here this we go. This is definitely one of those movies where it's a lot and nothing at the same time. Definitely. It's a, yeah. So after going through a lot of cosmetic facial surgery, we meet a woman. She returns. She's, yeah, she's returning home. She doesn't really have a name in this movie. She's mom or, yeah. or so we're questioning. Um, <laughs> Spoilers. Um, I know. Uh, like, this whole episode isn't filled with spoilers. Uh, so she comes home to this, like, very modern, isolated lakeside house. And she comes home to her nine-year-old twin sons, Ilias and Lucas. Um, her head is just completely covered in bandages. You can only see her eyes and her mouth. Um, and the twins are, of course, terrified. Yeah. Um And then she starts to act a little weird. She's a little bit aggressive. She's a little bit sterile at the same time. Like she's just, she's not very warm. She's not very motherly, which I definitely want to talk about later. The, um, the idea of mothers and their position in different movies, especially horror films. But she's giving Joan Crawford. Yeah. It's a little erratic. I won't lie. Yeah. She's, I I could hear her screaming no more wire hangers, you know, like. Oh, for sure. Um, she is ignoring Lucas and only acknowledges Ilias in conversation. Weird. And this upsets Ilias a lot. Yeah, he's pissed. Yeah. Um, it's the middle of the summer, um, but she orders the twins to keep the blinds closed during the day. And there's a strict rule of silence. Again, here's this theme of silence mm-hmm. inside the house. And she's like, you can only make noise and play outside. And then she also acts very... She lashes out at Ilias physically when he's disobedient. Um, and then they comment that, that this is something that their their mother, as they know her, would never do. And there's a lot of Ilias not talking and Lucas talking. Yeah. And then he'll say, Lucas told says that that's not something you would do. Yeah. Yeah. Or our mother would do. Yeah. And then they start to suspect that their mother is not their mother um, because she's covered in bandages and she's acting weird. Um, They're confirmed when they find an old picture that shows the mom with another woman who is wearing identical clothes and shares a lot of similar physical traits. And so they're, they're super sus. um, And 
They escape from the house to go to a church in a nearby town where they try to get help from the priest. But the priest just ends up driving them home and is like, yeah, this is your mom. You kids are like, no one's believing the kids. Yeah. Uh, And then they end up tying her to the bed, the mom. um, Yeah. And they refuse to let her go until she she tells them where their real mom is. Uh, She insists that she is their mother. And they use a magnifying glass to burn her face to compel her to reveal where their real mother is. The torture and gore begin. They then seal her mouth with tape. Yeah, and there's this whole sequence where they're like taking their little crossbow, like toy crossbow that has suction cups on it, but then they pull the suction cups off and shave down the point, shave it down to a point, and like take turns sleep, like sleeping in shifts, and so they uh, can watch the door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, in the next scene, we have two employees of the Red Cross arrive to collect donations, and. they're like kind of waiting for the mom to come back after the twins are like, she's not here, she's not here. But what's ridiculous is that they just let themselves into this house. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, this is the most unrealistic part of this whole movie. Who the fuck does that? You ring the doorbell, no one comes to the door, you leave. Yeah. It's super they're, weird. They're trespassing. Yeah, literally. Quite <laughs> literally. It's a, it, they didn't break anything, but it still counts as a B&A. Yeah. They are entering. <laughs> Without anybody's permission. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the laws are in Austria, but that seems sus. Yeah. Um, And then uh, they finally leave after they basically pay them off. Yeah, he Um, just like goes and steals a bunch of money from his mom's purse and is like, here. Yeah. And then in the meantime, um, the the mom or woman, I don't I don't really know what to call her since that's the question this whole film, um, breaks free from the adhesive tape around her mouth and yells for help, but it's too late because the Red Cross employees have already <laughs> have already been paid off, so they've left. <laughs> they've the broken door, entered. Yeah. It's kind of like the nicest robbery ever. <laughs> like they've come in without anyone's consent, and then they see the and then they refuse to leave. And then they're just like, we'll just pay them off. And then when, instead of being actually concerned for the safety of everyone in the house, they're just like, oh, we got some money. Let's leave. Yeah, it's a polite robbery. It's the politest robbery I've ever seen. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Pardon me. I'm here to get some money from you. And I refuse to leave until you give me money. And also, I came in without your permission. But uh, I'm just going to chill. Cool? Cool. Yeah, exactly. Um, If that's okay with you. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and then the twins end up sealing her lips with super glue, only to realize that then she's unable to eat. Idiots. Oh, Didn't oof, think oof, that oof, through. Oof. So then they cut open her lips with a small pair of scissors, slicing her mouth in the process. This is a part of the movie that I cannot watch. I am desensitized to a lot of things from watching a lot of these horror films, but fuck, man. I, I have to, uh, like, I was looking at you. I was just like, can we have a conversation? Like, I can't watch this. Um, and then she's still bound and trapped. She ends up having to wet the bed. She can't go to the bathroom. Um, so then they briefly set her free to change the bedding, al- allowing her to subdue the boys and escape. Yeah. And like during all of this, there's been this like good cop, bad cop thing between yeah. Elias and Lucas. Yeah. Because um, uh, Lucas is like, bro, what the fuck? Like uh, the mom kind of starts convincing uh, Elias to like let her out or at least like let her feet do something yeah um so that she can be be more comfortable or whatever and he's like what the fuck what are you doing and then he's like oh whoops my bad you're right you're right you're right yeah and then they set up a booby trap that causes her to fall, knocking her unconscious. And then she wakes up glued to the living room floor. Jesus Christ. They love glue. I mean, sometimes that's all a kid has um, <laughs> is glue. And <laughs> he starts to burn down the house, pressuring her into telling them the truth about their mother. And then she firmly insists that she is the twins' real mother. And then here we go, y'all. The whole reason for the whole film uh, we're about to be clued into what exactly is happening here. Mm-hmm. She tells Elias that Lucas's death wasn't his fault, meaning Lucas has been just a hallucination as a result of a dissociative identity disorder, and he's suffering from Capgras. Yeah, Cap, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, syndrome. So he's incapable of accepting his other half's death. Yeah, just briefly, Capgras is like 
when you've suffered a trauma yeah. of someone close to you and you insist that they're still around. Like you you believe that they are still living and interacting with the, the world. It's beyond the denial phase of grief. It's, yeah, it's, 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 it's actual it's, like... Psychological Psychological, yeah. yeah. Um, so then she's in tears and she's explaining to Elias that Lucas's death was not his fault. She begs him to set her free so that they can both move on. And Elias challenges her to prove that she is their mother by telling that, telling him what Lucas is doing. Um, she can't see his hallucination of Lucas uh, threatening to set fire to a curtain, so she can't answer the question. She, this is a really heartbreaking moment it's because so she's saying, well, she's saying to him, she's like, I'll make you a deal. I will go back to pretending that he's real. Yep. I will set his place for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I will give food. I will, you know, um, set clothes out for both of you. Like, let's just strike up a deal. Yeah. Um, so it's heartbreaking. She's literally just pleading, trying to save herself and her last son we don't know where the father is we don't have any backstory there's a, on that so she there's just a brief couple things that happen so when she's talking to the priest she says something about an accident and yeah. a separation yeah so the father's not in the picture right right right, right and right. then we see her doing like a, a video for like a dating site that's right yeah so she has brown contacts in but she has the woman that they have tied to the bed has blue eyes that's right so it's very that's a Another thing that is confusing the audience yeah. as to who is correct here, who's deceiving who. Um, and then they're they're selling the house. Yeah. Yeah. The twins find that as well. So then Elias, believing that his real mother could see Lucas, um, he lights the curtain on fire while hallucinating that his brother helped set the fire. The woman so- subsequently burns to Oof. death while screaming in agony before firefighters arrive. And then as they attempt to put out the fire, the woman now unharmed and wearing a yellow dress that was previously shown in a happy family photo leaves the house and walks into the woods. The final shot of the film shows Elias and Lucas walking through the cornfield and emerging to be with their mother, the three of them smiling and embracing, singing Lucas's favorite song. Yep. And that's it. Um, it's kind of, it's, it's vague as to if um, Elias actually survives or, or the, the, turnout of that because obviously this last scene is kind of like the idea of what could have been if the accident had never happened so yeah i i think we're led to believe that elias is alive and now his mom and lucas are both dead right yeah or their spirits could be in the woods all together reunited i don't know it's either happy or it's devastating. I don't know. It's devastating no matter what. It's devastating what. <laughs> no matter what. It might... I, 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 I seriously doubt that that is a happy spin on the end. Um, so I think you're right. I think he is alive and he just went out into the woods yeah. um, by himself uh, to just hallucinate and vibe, I guess. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I love this movie. It's so goddamn good. It is captivating it is gripping it is heartbreaking it is everything that you could want in this type of movie a lot of people have compared it to like the babadook um the lodge obviously because it's from the same people um and i don't there's just there's so much to dig in here it's hard to know where to begin i guess we could talk about the idea of it being objectively kind of structurally the perfect horror yeah, film here yeah let's start there we'll start with the skeleton and then we'll 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 dive deeper add some muscle to them bones tendons ligaments nice <laughs> so yeah i think the abc of this right the the act structure pure three act structure you have the this amazing setup where it's like all of these no dialogue scenes and sort of setting the tone, which is confused terror. <laughs> yes. And then second act is the investigation and sowing the seeds of doubt. And third act is this chaotic nightmare. Yeah. Um, and that is how you structure a horror film. That is. Yeah. Absolutely. You set the mystery, investigate the mystery and then you solve the mystery, but you don't. Yeah. Right? Like, they solve it, or Elias solves it by just ending everything. <laughs> exactly. And He kills the monster, but becomes the monster in doing so. 
Yeah, and it gives you this... Like, obviously, when I say it's, like, objectively the perfect horror film, it's the perfect horror film in this kind of sub-genre because the, the genre horror is very expansive. It's, like, a huge umbrella. A lot of people like to kind of put their own idea on it of what is and isn't it a horror film. And if, right. and if you're more interested in that, definitely listen to our horror or not episodes. Um, we have several of them and yeah, opposite, we try to do the opposite of gatekeeping. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's really, and this is without a doubt a horror film, obviously. Um, but yeah, this has, this has every single element. If you, if you want to make a very, um, superficial checklist of what you would expect in a horror film coming from just the general public. Let's make a little list. Um, creepy atmosphere. Yep. Uh, creepy children. Yep. Um, two jump, of them. <laughs> jump scares. Yeah, two of them that are identical. Um, jump scares. Um, a mask. Yep. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, gore. Mm-hmm. Torture. Yep. Um, suspense. Yeah. A twist. Yep. Um, multiple actually. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, questioning the whole time. I don't really know how to phrase this, but like questioning the whole time, everyone's intentions and who is actually the bad person. You know what I mean? Like that is nine. And then idyllic innocent setting around everything. Yeah. So that is 10. We just listed 10 things that you could, and this was off the top of our heads that you could check off that I swear to God, if you probably just asked the general public for buzzwords when it came to horror films, you could check off all 10 of those yeah. for this. So, Yeah, it, it's super well structured. Like you said, like you said it's, it's just a fantastic structure. It's so interesting the way that they use it. And I think it really, especially for this to be their first film. This is, a, this is their debut feature. Yeah. That's fucking ridiculous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that they just nailed it in one, you know? Yeah, they, this is one of the, we talk about people who just knock it out of the park. Yeah. On on their first bat at first at bat and this is that. Um they've only done two features too. I'd like to, I really want to see more of them like I said. Yeah. Um they had a segment in Field Guide to Evil, which is a international uh, like for a, but it's a, from a bunch of different countries anthology. Yeah. Um, focusing on folklore from those from the specific countries that they came from. But yeah, I uh, something else that I definitely want to discuss about this movie, aside from all of the atmospheric things that they that they have done to make this feel really dreadful, you know, yes. like yes, we have the closing of the blinds, even though it's the middle of summer. She, which could could it be attributed to like she she needs to get her rest because she's had all this surgery. It's also so um, it doesn't damage the skin. I was going to say, yeah, so it doesn't, it, like, there are a lot of reasons for everything that children probably just kind of don't understand naturally. And she, mm-hmm. but she also doesn't take the time to explain it to them. So it's not very well. No, both people are kind of, both parties are at fault. Oh, she's here. a shit mom. Oh yeah, definitely. And that's what I want to, that's what I want to um, get to here is the, the ideas of motherhood in diff that are depicted in different um, genres, especially the horror genre, because so typically mothers are supposed to represent safety and security. Right. Typically. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not saying that people don't have mommy issues. That's definitely a thing, <laughs> but more so that like, I feel like in a very normative sense, that is how mothers are viewed. That's that's completely fair. Yes. Right. People look to them for security and comfort. N- nurturing. Nurturing, yeah. like all of those things. Providing, um, yeah. Again, this isn't a very traditional um, normative set, like, you know, um, heteronormative as well. That's kind of been the symbol of motherhood. Um, yes. Especially in films. So... In horror films, we kind of get this idea where you can kind of stray from that idea and that puts people into that psychological... Um, inverting the... It, it, it's subverting the the norm that makes you uncomfortable. Exactly. Psycho, Friday the 13th, Babadook. Yeah. And lots of others. I'm just like... <laughs> yeah. And the fact that sometimes it doesn't even come from like an evil place necessarily it really just comes from like a place of either misunderstanding or the something tragic has happened and the mother is no longer able 
to provide that sense of security for another person because they're not doing well. Right. Right. She has nobody to help her. She has, you know, like she's just gone under a lot of probably facial reconstruction surgery. We don't know. Yeah. From the, uh, what it's, happened. It's, it's sort of implied it's from the accident, but she's also, it could be, we understand that she's an actress of some sort. So it and, could be completely aesthetics as well. Yeah. Um, like just cosmetic surgery for the sake of aesthetics. Um, we don't know, but um, what I think is important to uh, point out here is that the the theme in this movie, the kind of just overall theme is you can't just put a Band-Aid on something. Right. So there is a recurring theme between her and the twins using masks Yes. Right? The yes. twins, like, make their own masks, and then they put them on to kind of, you know, intimidate her, and, like, they're... And that's been used in horror films, you know... Time and again. Um, yeah. Time and again, to make it a little a little more unnerving. Um, and that just definitely works here. The, the Her coming home with all these bandages, you can't even see her hair. Um, that's pretty unnerving. Yes. Um, and then the twins wearing these masks that they have taken a lot of time to make, yeah, unnerving. Yeah, um, so, so the idea is that it's more harmful to repress a trauma and not get that help that is needed mm-hmm. than just putting a Band-Aid on it and saying, you know, not ignoring that it happened, but ignoring the way that it affected you. Yeah. I mean, there's even when the Red Cross folks leave, they literally give the kids a Band-Aid. I think you're spot on on that. Yeah. Because that's like, it's one of those theme. moments of like, hey, this is what the movie's about. Literally. <laughs> literally. So, and I find that completely amazing and fascinating and an awesome message to send because it ends in tragedy. Yeah. And I think we, we talked about this in the Lodge somewhat, but it's the same idea, but different in the Lodge, right? Yeah. She has an, a huge They love emotional, awful children. They love writing awful children. And tortured mothers. Who, yeah. And, but the difference is our mother in this, not trying at all. Not really. Yeah. Riley Cuff's character in the Lodge, trying really fucking hard. Yeah. Oh, and the god, poor Alicia Silverstone in that movie. <laughs> I always forget that she's even in that because she's it's there so for 30 short. seconds yeah. and then boom. Um, Literally. So, yeah, it's it's terrible kids and uh, stressed out over their limit mothers. Yeah. But, yeah, the difference is that Riley Cuff is really trying and she's really worked on her, on not repressing her trauma, but trying to work through it. Yeah. But she does repress it to some to some degree because she's like, I don't want this picture of Mary around, and right. I don't want anything like we are. I am a hardcore atheist. We are not going to talk about any sort of religious shit. Yeah, no, hundred um, percent. And there is that kind of repression going on uh, that obviously unravels everything, and it ends in what tragedy. So tragedy. it's really interesting that they they keep playing with this idea, and I'd love to see them do a third version of it. You know, yeah. like if this is the only thing they ever do. I'm fine, fine. They they keep doing it really well, so. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And it's, again, anything about family, I think, is going to initially bring up things for viewers, you know? Because yeah. whether you have mommy, daddy issues, whatever, it's, it's, it's a really great tool to just already attach people to the characters if it's going to be about family. Right. This is, this movie was making me want to watch the invitation again. I feel like that I need to give that movie another shot, you know, because I do love Kusama so much and I say it every fucking week, but that it, it, looking at it through this lens, I think would be interesting, right? Yeah. Because it's two parents trying, one trying to embrace the tragedy they went through, the uh, Logan Marshall Green's character is trying to embrace what they went through. Yeah. And um, his ex-wife, the mother of their child that died, is trying to repress what happened. Yeah. And again, ends in fucking tragedy, you know? Um, so I I find it interesting. Yeah, I, I, it's making me really want to watch that movie again because it's, again, it's looking at it from two points and seeing, well... Here's my version of here's here's a version of motherhood, and it's it's coming from mothers too. Kusama has kids, uh, uh, Franz has kids. Yeah, 
And so I think it's interesting to watch women who are mothers address motherhood in horror films. Yeah, I think the silence and the the band-aid idea kind of come together. Oh, totally. In this saying that... I just got really excited when you said that, sorry. (laughs) Well, because... So, silence traditionally in horror films, whether it precedes a jump scare or a big reveal or something, or it fakes you out into something else, it's always kind of this signal of, like, encroaching doom or danger, right? Right. And so the fact that all of this movie is kind of shrouded in like uncomfortable silence and like mm-hmm. mute characters just kind of builds that this entire time. And then just kind of like the silence means that they are not talking about what happened. It's it's a pregnant silence. Yes. And so what that leads to is the ultimate tragedy. Yes. People die. Yeah. You know? And she never, unfortunately, this mother that we see on screen anyway, this mm-hmm. is the only way that we have to um, base this off of. She's not trying to get help for anybody. For her son, who's literally going through a form of, you know, psychosis. Yes. She's not trying to, she's got, phys- she prioritized her physical needs first, which maybe she needed to, maybe she didn't. We don't sure. know. Yeah. Um, but nobody in this house is even seeking therapy. Nobody is. Tra- and, and so that's kind of where the physical bandage becomes kind of the metaphorical bandage where I get you, yeah. we're kind of just pretending nothing happened or we're talking about it, but in a very superficial sense, just acknowledging that it happened, but saying that we should move on. Right. Without getting the necessary help to move on. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's so frustrating and I love what you're saying. And it just makes me, this movie is just, it's, it's a great horror film. It's full of suspense, but I, like I was saying when we were rewatching it, every time I watch it, I get more and more sympathetic for this mother and just like more and more heartbroken for her. Yeah. Because there's this whole idea. And again, it's put on, it's put on women specifically. Whenever you see a single dad, they -hmm. get the most praise, right? Wow. You're doing so much. You're playing both roles, but then you're like, hello, single mothers do it all the fucking time. You know what I mean? And they don't get the same kind of praise. And we've kind of come to, I think a lot of mothers struggle with that idea of they're not really seen as a person sometimes. They're not yes. seen, they're, they're, they're providing all of this unpaid labor. Right. Um, and it's kind of funny that we're covering this right when um, all of that shit happened last night about Roe v. Wade. Yeah. You know, the um, super, Supreme Court leak. Yeah. Supreme Court leak. Um, but women, or mothers, uh, mothers, they, they're unpaid for all of this ridiculous amount of labor. And on top of that, if they have a job, they don't get paid maternity leave unless they are very, in a very privileged position. Right. Um, so they're not seen as people most of the time. So when a mother is going through something and they're unable to care for their children, it's demonized. It is seen immediately as like this, wow, you can't provide for your children. So they're not seen as people. They're seen as providers. Yeah, a role um, player. A role player, essentially. So I feel so deeply for this mother, again, every time we watch it, because, yeah, she's cold. Yeah, she's not doing the right things. But for fuck's sake, she just lost a child. Yeah. And has a very, very physical representation of that in the other it, child. They are identical, the identical twins. twins. Yeah. The only difference is that one is right-handed and one is left-handed. Right. Correct. Um, so, I mean, yes, it's, I feel for the children because they're too young to know any different. Yeah. Um, well, the child. The yeah. child, yes, of course. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. This this movie brings out a lot of sympathy for me for all of the characters. It's it's really difficult. Everybody's um, to wrong watch. and everybody's right. It's yeah, it's yeah. really rough. It's also I I have caught this a couple times before, but I always it it sort of gets shoved back in my mind. But it's heavily implied that she also lost a twin. 
Oh, from the, the woman photo? in the photo is her identical twin, and mm. that's why the kids because it it's a genetic thing, right? Like oh yeah, that's twins true. run that in families. True. Yeah, and so outside of like IVF and stuff like that, but your standard garden variety twins uh, run in families. Mm-hmm. So the fact that she just goes a friend from a long time ago, yeah is so telling to me and the way she delivers that line i i should praise the acting for everybody in this by the way oh yeah we shouldn't gloss over yes. that it's Susan really Weiss phenomenal is fantastic and the kids are really good too they're yeah. really solid they're great at being creepy yeah that's for sure um and they they killed the physical parts of it too yeah like the kids really nailed that physical stuff that really freaks you out yeah like when they're both sitting there eating sausages mm-hmm. fucking terrifying we also should not gloss over the fact that, um, so the movie's trying to pit us against the mother the whole time, and that's yeah. that's how this is so brilliantly set up, right? So one of the tools is they use their, their family pet. So what we don't know as audience members is that this cat has been dead for a long time. And right. it's been set up that the that the twin, or uh, Elias, um, along with the hallucination of... Um, Lucas. Lucas finds the cat like in the basement in a corner and they're looking yeah. for it for, for a long time. They're like, you know, um, all of these things. And then they find it in like the basement. They're like, what's wrong with him? Mm-hmm. And they lay down with it and we're, and they're like, they literally say mother did it. Or like, I bet mom, right. I know like mom did it. Or, you know, Lucas says that to Elias. So, but but we're so we're led to believe again that's pitting us against the mother as a viewer. Like how could right. she do that? It's either because from it's, neglect or abuse for the cat. And like speaking of plant payoffs, by the way, this is one of my favorites in the movie. Like and structural yeah. stuff. This is one of the greatest plant payoffs. Is that they do they're playing um, they're like twenty like who am I like you put the little thing on your forehead and you have oh, to guess right. like who you are like twenty questions basically yeah. right. You have to guess who or what you are. So they put Mama on her head. Yeah. And they're playing all these questions. And one of the things is she loves animals. Yep. And the mom can't figure out who she's supposed to be. Because obviously, who would th- who would guess themselves, you know? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's this weird... It's, a, it's the kind of test a child would come up with. Yeah. So that is what happens. And so that's the plant... And then the payoff is finding the dead cat. Yep. And they earlier in the film they sneak the cat in. They know she's not going to allow it in. Yeah. And so like they find it. it's just a stray cat they find under a stone like mound or whatever. Yeah. And they bring it back and they hide it in the room, and then it's implied. But the cat's like clearly dying. Like the cat looks like shit. Yeah. Um. Anyhow, so I that's that's such a it's such a good plant payoff. And then they put it in the fucking uh. They suspend it in water as a reference to the, I can't remember the artist's name, but you know what I'm talking about, the giant shark yes. suspended in formaldehyde. Yes. Uh, that has a really cool title. It, they That's a reference to that. And they just suspend it in water, and then she starts dumping all of their pet cockroaches into the tank. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, these kids have some really weird habits, uh, like collecting colossal-sized cockroaches. Like Madagascar hissing roaches. Like, it, it's It's... It's not, it's, it's interesting. These kids are weird. These kids are weird. These um, kids are weird. But you know what? They're cute. Um, I love weird kids. Trust yeah, me. I was a weird kid. I was the weird, my sister and I, one of our favorite things to talk about is just reminiscing on like the shit that we found funny, the shit that we enjoyed. And we just look at each other like, were we okay? Like, <laughs> we're, we're so weird. Yeah, me and my brother and all my cousins were. I enjoy it though. Odd. I love how weird kids are. Yes, it's I'm fun. like, give it to me. Yeah, it's amazing. It's the best. Yeah, but it does seem like the mom was supportive of their weird habits beforehand, mm-hmm. and now she's finding them vexing. And I, fe- I think that's interesting. Um, it's it's just a lot of stuff of like, and it's her. It's definitely her dealing with grief, and it's definitely her. Elias talking about Lucas and I all the time. Like when he tries to hand her two conch shells. Yeah. One from him, one from Lucas, and she only takes the one from him. Yeah. It's just really cool shit. Yeah. We like, man, it's, there's just a, there is a lot in this movie to talk about. I, I just, 
I think it's so great. The fact that when you first watch it, honestly, you notice that something's off, but you don't. Mm. It is such a well, it is, the twist is such a well paid off twist. Yeah. This is one of those movies, definitely, that you do not want to know anything about it going into it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for real. Because the first time you watch it, the twist is amazing. The second time you watch it, the twist is still amazing, but for different reasons. The third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth through yeah, the tenth time. Yeah, I think time, I've seen this like six it, or seven times. and <laughs> You notice different things. It's another, it's it's in layers. It's and It's rich. It's really great. Um, I, I cannot recommend this movie enough it is a hard watch definitely oh for sure yeah um it's gonna bring up a lot of things for your inner child um Mm -hmm. uh and it's 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 not gonna be an easy one but it's it's great it's a really good watch honestly yeah really well done again i think objectively it is a perfect horror film so on that so we've called evil dead or evil dead 2 like the perfect horror primer yeah would you say that those movies are as structurally sound as this one no. Okay. But that, they serve a different purpose. That's I don't what I'm think asking. They need yeah. To be. I yeah. don't think they need to be at all. I think they are the. Uh, they are the fun ride of a comedy, but not super structurally sound of, of horror films. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's a good primer because it'll kind of get you into, like, oh, this is kind of weird and creepy. Speaking of, <laughs> like, oh, this is kind of weird and creepy, um, but, like, it's fun and I'm not, like, it's gross out, but I'm not. Um, I'm not like I don't know. It, it's a it's a good way to turn people onto horror films to show them that it doesn't have to be this like idea of super terrifying. You're gonna you're not gonna have nightmares about Evil Dead. Maybe no. the remake or the redo. Oh yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> uh, that one you'll probably you probably will. But I don't know. This it's it's a good primer because it's campy and it can I think expand people's horizons of horror films that isn't just like torture porn. Yeah. Or just like a haunting or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, structurally, I'd put this with uh, Alien and The Thing. It's yeah. it's up there. Like those are both near near perfect structure movies. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else that's better structurally. Yeah. And I, I'm I'm really coming up empty. Uh, Especially in this uh, subgenre, because often in this subgenre, people are just trying to do too much. Yes, this is very restrained. They try to make it too. This is the perfect balance of a horror film and an art film. Mm-hmm. Where some films, again, they just like try to they just do too much. Yeah. And then it becomes convoluted, and it's not it just doesn't work. Yeah, and I I, I want to bring back that comparison to Terrence Malick here. Yeah. We bring Malick up a lot on this podcast. Yeah. And I think it's because he's someone who I would love to see make a horror film. But we always talk about him in his like arty sort of stuff, right? Like his least art, artistic, like artistically just like up its own ass film is what? Thin Red Line? Yeah. Um, which I love because it kills Jared Leto in a very satisfying way. <laughs> <laughs> so that's in even that movie is still just. Every movie he makes is an exploration of what you can do with a camera, right? For sure. The same way that Raimi does, um, and, and I'll give James Cameron credit on that too. It's what can I do with this technology? Yes. Not so much like Raimi's like Hitchcock, right? Like how many devices can I build? How much weird shit can I do with a camera? Yeah. Malik's like, how much beauty can I capture? And what does that say about the nature of film? Yeah. This movie is shot and edited like a Malick film. And I'm pretty sure I, I would have to look it up. I'm not going to do it right now. Uh, let me know if I'm wrong. I don't mind. But I'm pretty sure Malick also uses a, uh, an editor that is typically that typically does documentaries. Okay. And I think that's where we get these great moments. Because documentaries, you're shooting either long shots and talking heads. Yeah. And that's kind of where this goes. Although there's no talking heads moments. There is like these tight shots of like the mother I could see that, lecturing yeah. the children, and then the children are shot in profile, rarely and rarely from front. And the only times they're shot from front, it's this very Wes Andersony Wes Andersony look. Yeah, but yeah, I I think it it every every shot of this feels like a Malick film to me. Um, the contrasts between wide and tight, right? Um, and the way that the camera moves with action. 
Yeah. As opposed to showing action, right? So the camera moves when action is happening as opposed to just setting it as a play, as we've talked about, you yeah. know? So Suspiria, right? Yeah. We talked about this with that movie recently where we have, you you watch the action happen from a wide shot. Yeah. It doesn't, the camera doesn't follow with the action. Yeah. You watch the action happen. No, totally. This film and like Malik does, you follow the action. You're moving with the action. It makes you feel that tension and that sense of wonder, I think. For sure. When it's action's not isomorphic, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think that's really, really interesting, right? 100%. And using all of that to using all of that to engage you in the film, yeah, helps. It's it's where the art uh, meets up with the craft, meets up with the structure, right? Yes. You know, the technique, all of that. It's it, that's that's where we get to with this film and why it is just objectively a really fucking good horror film. And it's because it's pulling from other genres, yeah, and other uh, other creators who don't work in the genre. And that's uh, that's something that we've talked about a lot, but I think is really really smart. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. But that's that's more or less what I have to say for now. Same. I think that's a really great place to... Wrap this up. Wrap it up. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us today. You guys know where to find us. We're on Instagram at Horror Babes Podcast. We're on Twitter at Horror Babes Pod. We have a website, horrorbabespod.com. If you're enjoying us, feel free to give us a rating or a review on iTunes. It does Tell your really friends. help us. Yes, exactly. All that good stuff. Uh, until next time. Bye, Bye babes. babes. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe.